finally gave the Ringers Philly Crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shield Kapadia. That's right. Just a couple Philly guys with a new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Join the fun and follow the Ringers Philly special now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name's Kevin O'Connor, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Jay Kyle Mann. What's going on, Kyle? How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm just, uh, it's it's a little rainy and a little cold here, staying warm. But uh, you know what's really can keep you warm is the, the burning hot discussion on Twitter that we've unleashed. Uh, I liked where Michael was like <laughs> joking about... Uh, Everybody agrees with our list. It, it would be amazing if you put a ranking out and no one pushed back. You know what I mean? No pushback. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to segue to we put out our top no, 100. Nobody pushed back. Yeah, top 100 rankings on the Ringers NBA Guide, NBA Ranking Guide. I don't know our proper name. It's the NBA Ranked. Our ranking hub, right? Yes. And it has Tyler Parker with his top 25 league pass rankings. It's got me, you, Michael Pina, and Rob Mahoney are aggregate rankings for our top 100 NBA players. And definitely, everybody agrees. Everybody on social media agrees with these rankings. So you can find it. And uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes for the link if you want to take a look while listening to us talk. But nbaRankings.theringer.com is where you find that. Um, it looks beautiful, Kyle. It really does. It is People gorgeous. People always disagree with rankings. But isn't it? Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's it fun to look at. Too. I think there's just a lot, whether you agree with it or disagree or whatever, that stuff's inevitable because I don't know. It's like there is no definitive way to do it. If you, you know, if you believe in scoring, if you believe in playmaking, you believe in defense, you can slice it a million different ways. It's subjective. But I don't know. There's always certain factions that I expect to hear from whenever we do these rankings. I'm always just like, I know that like people who love bucket getter type guys, they're always going to be really vocal and loud about their guys being pushed too low and you have to kind of argue back and forth. I don't spend a whole lot of time arguing with people about it because it's kind of a waste of time. But um, it's it's always incredible discussion whenever these rankings come out. So that's always super entertaining. For sure. I mean, like unsurprisingly, a guy like Kyrie Irving, we have him ranked 66th. And that's pretty low if you're considering offensive talent. But like on our list, I think you know we all had different philosophies with the way we approach this. I think with we did factor in like availability, right? Is this guy injury prone? Are they missing time for this reason or that reason? I texted my personal top 100 list to a handful of you know trusted NBA executives, like, hey, who do you think that I have is too low? Who should be on the top 100 that's not here? You know this and that. 
And I had like multiple people tell me, Kyrie shouldn't even be in your top 100. Oh, baby. And so like that speaks to the difficulty in lists like this, right? Where I think I, you know, I think he's too low based purely on talent. We don't need to get into that, but he, I think he's the number one example that we've heard from so far. Like I have had no tweets saying CJ McCollum at 69 is too low. I think CJ is way too low at 69, where we have like Zach Levine at 41 or 40, whatever he is. I just, it, it, I mean, I understand you're going to hear a lot about Kyrie, but I just think like there's other guys on the rankings where it's like, what? How do we have Zach Levine at 40? But yeah. This guy at, you know, 69, 70, whatever he is. Guys like Levine, guys like Anthony Edwards, guys like Kyrie, Jalen Green, they, 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 I, we've talked about this in the past that they, like, they inspire like a, a, a real strong feeling uh, among their fans. And uh, a lot of times those people are the most vocal online. I just, you always expect it. But I feel like that kind of traces the the philosophical kind of fault line, divider line, I think, between the way people think about basketball. And it's kind of very, the, those two sides just get very vocal and kind of riled up against each other. I was going to ask you, why do you, why do you think Levine gets bumped so high? I, I, that one was curious. I ended up writing Levine's blurb and I was revisiting his trajectory why do you think he's getting bumped so high? I mean, the injuries and stuff I know are factor in here. But he improved a lot, though. I mean, on some level, you got to give him credit for that. But he got a lot better defensively. I mean, that was the one thing I knocked him on a bunch in the past was his just absolutely abhorrent defensive effort, intensity, focus. And he became a, a pretty solid level defender, you know, at least average. I, I wouldn't say I think Levine has regressed on that end. And also his offensive role has declined, you know, because of the presence of DeMar DeRozan. So in that sense, like he's not a key playmaker for Chicago. He's not even their top scorer anymore because of DeRozan. He's an underwhelming defender. But is Why that does bad, he get the though? Bump? I don't know. Is regressing? No. Is your role a, I mean, he still is a, he's still a great player. Is role regression bad, though, is my thing. It's like it is inherent, or is it a virtue? I guess you could like flip that either way. Now we're just kind of like talking about how to think about players. It's like when Steph took a lesser role with KD, did he get worse? When LeBron took a lesser role with Dwayne Wade? I don't think that's what it is. I just think if you're ranking players, you know, it's like too high for him given the current state and his current abilities. I think role regression, like that makes me think about Brandon Ingram. Once he comes back, Zion has established himself as the guy, right? Like, they are playing through him. They are letting him play make, bring the ball up the floor. Brandon Ingram is going to have to learn how to oftentimes be the number two or the number three behind Zion. So that role of regression for Brandon Ingram could end up leading to the best version of him. I mean, to your point, right? Where, like, he becomes a more efficient player. He's attacking mismatches, picking his spots even more than he was previously by in their ball-sharing offense. So I think, I don't mean that as some knock on Levine. Uh, I just think, like, given that role of regression he has underperformed this season and some of the guys we have him behind, I just think, I just think defense is underrated. Always. It always That's is. That's my yeah. key thing. Yeah. I mean, it's and like, I'm an I take Jeremy guy. Grant. I love offense. I love bucket getters. I mean, we talked about Amani Bates, <laughs> like the highlight <laughs> guy. Like, it's so fun to watch Amani, even though he's not good. But, like, I, I just think like having Zach Levine ahead of a Bridges or a Grant, some of the guys that are right behind him, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's been talked about him on the mismatch on Tuesday. Like he's been he's probably awesome. too low. Yeah, Porzingis has been awesome this year. 
Uh, I just think he's a little bit too high. Who, who sticks out to you, Kyle, as like the guy who's either too high, too low? What's your biggest disagreement on the list? I wanted to say, too, that uh, before I get to that, I, I was going to say that I, maybe role regression is like the wrong thing. And I think this is the, the wrong regression is the wrong word, right? I think it's more malleability. Like we should reward malleability and things like that. Um, guys, yeah. a, a couple that jump out to me. I think Fred Van Vliet is probably a little bit too high right now. There was a moment in time where I feel like you maybe could have justified that case a little more. Um, he hasn't shot the ball as well this year. The Raptors have been a little bit of a mess. That's not totally like I, you can't pin that on him. There's a lot of things going on with them with injuries and Raptors fan base is pretty vocal about um, guys getting run into the ground and things like that. Um, another guy that I think you could argue you could argue is too low, like in a playoff scenario, could be like immensely valuable as a guy like Alex Caruso. You know, I start thinking about the way Charks used to talk about like playoff series when you can kind of there's the chess game of a playoff series where you can sort of you can sort of check the certain things that a team is doing well. And I think that speaks to kind of what you're talking about, that like defenders in that situation get underrated i think og is probably a little underrated probably like i don't know if you think about Agreed. i mean i don't know that he necessarily gives the like some of the offensive like versatility but if you think about the kind of guys he can guard and he can make open threes i try to think about basketball in this way typically KLC. i try to think about basketball for the last day of the season there are a lot of things that happen on a night to night basis that are cute and big out big outputs that are impressive but, you know, if you have certain caveats, they're going to kill you at the end of the year. And you can look incredible during the regular season and still run into those walls as the, as the year winds down. Oh, for sure. And I think also, like, playoff ability um, and their ability to translate it to, like, it's the Draymond Green 82-game players versus 16-game players, right? I think that factors in a little bit as well, where I could understand why somebody might have a, a fault for a, fault us for having Shea Gildas-Alexander at number 12. When he, you know, he had one playoff series, but he was a younger player. Having him at twelve ahead of some of the guys behind him might be premature. You know, like it'll be interesting to see where he ends up falling, and when we continue doing this, which is the fun part. Like we're going to update this a couple times a month. I mean, I'm not sure how often we will, but it'll update over the course of the year. So unlike some of the other, you know, like SI has been doing top 100 a long time. ESPN's done their rankings a long time. Like as far as I know, th- this is the first resource for an constantly updating player rankings during the NBA season, as far as I, as I know of. Yeah, I think that you made a key point there that I think people should know is that this is a living document. This isn't a set in stone. We are going to update this so that I think that it's not not. And the, the advantage of that is there's always this like prisoner of the moment versus benefit of the doubt for what a player's done in the past. You know, like Kawhi, I feel like is a big example of that. If we're just like if, we're, if you're just asking me, like, not based on, like, who's performing how in the moment, if you're like, who would you rather have in a playoff series, Shea or Kawhi, you're going to say you're gonna say Kawhi, I would say, <laughs> every single time. Even Shea's been incredible. And we have Kawhi at 30, just to give some context right now. He's at 30 <laughs> yeah. because, of, because he's been injured, he's been out. We don't know what he's going to look like, even though he looks great against Boston the other night. Just, just added some context there with him, Kyle. No, for sure. I, I, and all those things kind of factor into it. And I think... You know, and you're kind of predicting in some situations like Evan Mobley could be is one of the most valuable players in the NBA that I would hang up the phone most of the time if someone propositioned me to trade for him. And we just kind of haven't seen it yet. So there's another wrinkle to it where you're kind of placing a bet on who he's going to be. 
yeah, it, there's just a, there's a lot more that goes into it other than like what they are like putting up in the moment. If you put them on like the basketball reference comparison thing, you're like, well, he has more than he does. It's like it's just not that simple. So let's talk about some of the younger guys on this list. Uh, let's just do some quick hit. Do these players rise, fall, or stay about the same by the time we do this list at the end of the NBA regular season or, you know, at the end of the NBA playoffs? So for each of these, I'm going to name six players, Kyle. You tell me, are they going to rise? Are they going to fall? Or do they stay about the same? Number one, Tyrese Halliburton, who we had ranked number 21 on our rankings. That's pretty damn high. But, I mean, you, we, we, you and I have talked to word like blue in the face about Tyrese Halliburton. Everybody, we love him at this company. He's like, the, I, I called him a universal donor to good offense yesterday on a pod with Sirit. I think he's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. That's a good way to phrase it. I've, yeah. been, I've been pushing that one. Uh, you could just put him into any situation and he doesn't need the ball. He makes good decisions and things like that. I think the thing that you could probably nitpick would be there's a threshold that I think you cross that some players have it in the league where it's like you have to stop them. It's that thing that we've talked about. Like you have a, they have an offensive bag that you have to stop. Tyrese, I'm not saying he has he couldn't do it. I just think that he has another level to go to in terms of his scoring. Like what what does he do scoring wise that you have to plan for? Other than you know he's a good shooter. He's been a good shooter at at, at every level. And I'm kind of devil's advocate nitpicking this here. I don't know twenty twenty one. I could see it come down over the course of the year. Um, what do you think? I could I could see him getting into the like the in the thirty range. And he's still. I don't think it's going to change who he is as a player. I don't think it's a major slide. I could see him dropping. But uh, I voted him as like 14th on my rankings. Nice. I had him higher. And, and, and maybe that's way too premature. But I think we've seen now, ever since he, first of all, he was good with Sacramento. But ever since he got acquired by Indiana in February, it's almost a year now of him producing exactly as he has the start of the season. Like this, this started happening in February. It's not like just a 25, 30 game sample. We're at like a 60 game sample at this point with Halliburton of him elevating this roster, making everybody better on the court, playing great defense individually, good team defender as well. Like This guy is, like I called him in there, uh, the new point god. Like He's leading the league in assists. This dude's awesome, dude. And, and I, I think, let me phrase it like this. Who would you rather have? You got to win a game today, Kyle. I like putting it this way. Do you want Trey Young or Tyrese Halliburton? Oh, don't even fucking come at me with that. <laughs> don't even. So who do you want? No, I will. I like Halliburton. I just I'm a Halliburton guy. I think that he, All right, we he's have a Trey low. at 19. We have Trey at 19 and Halliburton at 21. It would wow. not shock me one bit if Halliburton rises into the top 20 ahead of a guy like Trey Young. No, yes, I could I could see that if you put it that way. If now, is I bet Young he rises. More... To answer the question, I'd say rises or stays yes. about the same. Like he probably doesn't go into the top fifteen. He stays about the same. Would really be my true answer there. I agree with P- I agree with Mike Pena that uh, Pina Pena. I always mess that up. Uh, it, I agree with him that he's like the, one of the most talented players. He's a more creative and talented scorer and playmaker than Tyrese. But I think you have to when you balance them out. We don't have to get into this whole discussion, but I just think uh, we're, I just think we we like we have Shea at twelve right now. And Halliburton at 21. I, th- I think Tyrese is going to close that gap at some point. Scotty Barnes, number 72, Kyle. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Rises, falls, or stays about the same? 
I think he'll probably climb a little bit. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's such a precipitous fall from last year. You would think that he'd come around. I've been watching him for a while. I don't think he's going to fall out of the top one. He would have to do something. Something would have to be dramatically wrong or every piece of data that we've had to this point would have had to be blatantly wrong. And I just don't believe in that. I think he's been, there's been some frustration with him and his choices and kind of inconsistency. I think those things will come back. I mean, um, I, I think that those things will level out. Now, do I think he's going to make a leap up into the 30s? No, but I think he could climb into the, like the 50s or the you know maybe even as high as yeah. like high 40s, maybe even. I think so too. I I would bet on him rising up this list. Right now, it's been a horrible start to the season for him. Um, it's not been the same guy. Defensive effort has been the biggest disappointment for me with him. But like I'm betting on Scotty Barnes. I believe in that guy. I think he's going to figure out. And this is just a you know a little sophomore slump with him. So I think he'll rise. Will he go as high as Desmond Bain at 31? This might be a bit premature, Kyle, having him that high. But he's like before the injury. This dude's averaging 25, five and five. He's playing good defense. Critical to Memphis's success on both ends. Does he rise, fall, or stay about the same? I could see if he fell, I don't see him climbing any higher. So I think it's either a push or he, he could like decline slightly. I think that we, you could, you could look and you could like nitpick the volume of what he's done. It's been incredible. I was looking at some of his big outbursts. Some of those were against teams that are kind of rough or we're having a hard time. And the Grizzlies have this machine that works and they roll into town. And if you have something that's not working, they're going to kick your ass. So I, you could, you could think about it that way. Um, what do you think? I think he'll stay about the same. That'd be my bet with Bain. One thing that comes to mind when I look at this list is seeing Bain at 31 is he was a quote-unquote old prospect. He gets drafted at age 22. He goes to pick number 30. One of those guys where, you know, conventional wisdom says, oh, older prospect. He's not going to get much better. But Bain is a reminder that that's not the case. Like Every player's trajectory is, is their own. It's it's an individual, you know, thing that happens. And for Bain, he was a late bloomer in college. And now he's looking like a borderline all-star player or potentially an all-NBA guy on the back end on that third team. Someone in that discussion. Siakam was a 22-year-old. Siakam, too. Right? Yeah, yeah, he was 22-year-old. Like 14, 15. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a number of guys like that. Like, where, where do you fall when it comes to assessing prospects that are, you know, in their early 20s? When it comes to projecting their upside, do you even like how much do you factor it in uh, when you're when you're analyzing prospects? I think that if you're looking at a guy who has it's the baseline skill set, I think is really important to watch. Like if we've seen, if we know that the shooting is there, if we know that we, if we believe in their hand, it all depends on the starting point. If a guy can't handle the ball at all coming out of college and he's a rough shooter, those are two things that are really difficult to to do to, or to to build upon. And I always say that like handle and shooting are the two things that I really pay attention to. And I, I thought that he had a shot that would like translate and they could speed it up and things like that. Um, I think you're right. It's just conditional. It's player by player. Um, it, I don't think that there is one sweeping answer. And the person matters a lot. If you listen to Desmond Bain talk, mm. He's a smart guy. I think the Grizzlies, that's something that gets underrated about them is that they have like guys who are learners that get better. I think the Celtics have been good about picking up guys like that too. And, and that all factors in. If a guy is kind of in stasis and he dominates physically and you don't believe in his work ethic, I'm not going to be as willing to bet on that. That's a good way to put it. I think with someone like Bean as well, my hypothesis is that the players who were the top high school recruits 
that end up needing to stay until their junior senior season, like a Quentin Grimes, they yeah. can still turn into an NBA player, but they're not the players who are going to turn into the guys who thought they could be in high school. The guys who were the non top 50 or t- non top 100 high school prospects like Desmond Bain, who have to spend three, four years in college are the guys where maybe it matters less that they're older. That's just a hypothesis. I have not studied that, but I think there's like a lot of anecdotal examples with guys like Desmond Bain or Pascal Siakam where they were not great prospects in high school, but they became that in four years. They were just late bloomers. I think those guys should be viewed differently than like a Quentin Grimes. And I like Quentin Grimes. He's a good player for the Knicks and maybe he should play more often. Um, but he's not, I don't think he's ever going to become the guy that you thought when he committed to Kansas. Yeah, it's interesting that I think this pops up again and again when like from that age range, and we've probably talked about this together on a show at some point, that that like 13 to 17 age range, there is just this sort of horse race that goes on between, and I, I, I don't mean like it's a metaphor. I mean, like you watch the, some guys shoot out in front and they physically dominate. If you want, I remember like a guy like uh, Cliff Alexander who went to Kansas. Oh, yeah. Physically, you know, he yeah. was near the top of his class. Those guys will come in and like the skinnier guys who are really skilled, but maybe their skills don't translate to the high school or the grassroots setting because they're getting bumped and pushed around a lot. Like a like a Tyrese Halliburton, he play he didn't play with a major AAU team. Or uh, Stephen Curry is an all time example of, of this. Those guys sometimes can kind of like regress and they maybe don't maybe don't get as recruited or ranked as high and then they'll go to a school and take their time and there won't be as much pressure on them or expectations because I think you get saddled sometimes if you are a top 25 guy that you need to be on hitting these markers like we were talking about like it even carries into the NBA like you don't need to be playing summer league after the first year that's embarrassing and I think these guys just kind of get rid of that stuff you know whereas like Desmond Bain it just has like he has had a pattern of working he's just like I've been working to get where I am of course I'm not I'm not going to come in here presumptuous and act like I don't yeah I'm above anything I I don't know I feel like that's kind of a phenomenon I've, I've observed I don't what do you think about that I mean, I think you're 100% right there. I mean, like you can you can be like Zion Williamson is somebody who he was number one. He was a top player in high school throughout his life. There, he it go he dominates at Duke. He goes number one. He's averaging 30 points per game, right? And like in the NBA, as a young player, dominant efficiency, all time level stuff. Despite being out of shape. And despite not really working hard, because he was always a high achiever, despite not developing those habits that you're talking about with some of these guys who really, really have to work for it. And I think that that's like what the Pelicans have seen this year. They have a Jose Alvarado, who is exactly what you're talking about, a guy who's worked for it, a Najee Marshall, a guy who's working for it, right? And I, I think you, you hope that those types of players can develop that if they fail in the NBA. You experience failure. That's where growth can happen sometimes and where you can pick up those really positive habits where you might think you're working hard. Like, you know, Alperen Shengun thinks he's working hard. Zion Williamson thinks he's working hard. Like some of these players think they are, but then you see Alvarado and you're like, okay, that's hard work. And, and there's a big difference in the mindset and approach, which speaks to what you said earlier, Kyle, about the type of person when it comes to, you know, teams interviewing players, getting, you know, intel from coaches, you know, teachers, whoever it might be, teammates, classmates, all of that factors in. And, and if anything, who the person is, is 
maybe the most important thing when it comes to like figuring out how good are these players going to become. But also, you don't know how people are going to evolve and mature and change as well as like if you're drafting a 20-year-old kid, he could be totally different by the time he's 24 once he's got million dollars in his bank account, girls in his DMs, right? Opportunities to hang yeah. out with cool people. Like it like your life changes. You don't know how how success will change somebody either. So I don't know. Like it's like the draft is not easy, dude. And like it's Bane hard is a good example. Like like Bane going 30. Like we'll we'll do a redraft of his year at some point, but like he's not getting out of the top 10 and he was old. With yeah. no upside. No, not true. I didn't have him at 30. I'll tell you that much. I loved him. Um, I, it's, it's I had, hard I had him to, at 19. I think 19, and that was too low. Yeah. And I loved Bane. I was like, Bane, Bane's going to be good. He's a good player. He's underrated. 19 was too low. Yeah, he, it's hard enough to evaluate these guys as players. And I mean, it's, and if you think about us doing this not for teams, it's even more difficult to go in there and, and try to evaluate them as people. I can't imagine betting millions and millions of dollars on it. Um, and I'm sure they have their ways of doing that. But I, I think Bain is a good example of a dude who just seems to have a good head on his shoulders and, and has a has a work, a working attitude like his his whole. And I like, again, I think the Grizzlies draft guys like that. That's just that's that's their type of player. Let's go quick hit for these last three. Jalen Green, we have him ranked 84. Does he rise, fall, stay about the same? He's going to rise. I think he's going to probably rise for the next How high? few years. That's the question. I'm how, more interested. How high this year? I feel like your answer is going to be more dramatic because I saw your tweet about, <laughs> Kevin, come on. <laughs> you get to answer first. You can't be the host the whole time. How high do you think Jalen Green's going to go? I think he rises until like the top 50, top 60. Okay. I thought you were going to say like top yeah. 30 or something. I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, we have, Zach Le- we have Zach Levine at 40, so maybe. <laughs> green is kind of a Zach Levine. He's cut from that cloth. I kind of am more of a believer yeah. in green, I think, long term than than Levine. I, I do think that green is. How come? How? Why over Levine? Um, I just I just feel like and maybe that's not totally fair. I mean, Levine has grown a whole lot. I just I, from listening to Jalen Green talk, I do think that he is pretty obsessed with getting better. Um, you know, I'm not uh-huh, going to yeah. I don't want to even get into the summer league stuff that we've all talked about over and over again. Um. He's somebody that's on like that superstar expectation path, um, but I think he's gonna. I, th- I think he's good, but I will say I do think he's gonna be a polarizing player for a lot of his career because I, I think people certain philosophies he grates against them, and you, you're gonna hear it over and over again. We don't have to parse that right now, but no, I think he's gonna rise for sure. Next up, Benedict Matherin at number ninety, and just to give some context here, we we've talked about him on your pod, my pod with the mismatch how awesome of a start to the year he's gotten off to. But the last 10 games, 37% from the field, 18% from three. He's really seemed to hit a, little, hit, hit a little bit of a wall here. So just giving some context with him being ranked at 90, does he rise, fall, or stay about the same? Uh, over the course of the year, I think he'll probably hover in the same area, if not regress slightly. I mean, this if he continues... There's a lot of good players, though, behind him, Kyle. Like, guys outside of our top 100. I had one of a our mutual of friends... In the NBA text me and say he thought we were way too credible with younger players and he might be right about that cough Ben Taylor mm-hmm. uh, I think that um, <laughs> I think oh, Benedict yeah, we were I think with some of them yeah it's and that's that's another thing and we don't you know we say it a lot but 
it's the most saturated time for talent in the history of the sport. So it's, oh, yeah. it's extremely competitive. What used to be an all-star is not an all-star anymore. I'll hear people be like, oh, he's an all-star. I'm like, it's a comparative game, guys. It's like the same, the numbers used to mean this, they don't anymore. Like you need to get in there and dig out the differences. Matherin, I think, long story short, probably hover in the same spot, probably, but I expect him maybe even to dip a little bit, but I don't think that's, he's a kid. I mean, he's a, he's a young dude. He's got yeah. a lot of time to get better and that's okay. It's not a bad thing if he dips, and I'd I'd predict that he probably dips too, and unless he gets back on that you know hot start to the season. Uh, Franz Wagner, last one, number sixty one. Similar story. I mean, he, he might even it, he he has the tools, and he's shown us the things that uh, indicate that he could climb. I mean, uh, in a couple of years, I could see him climbing even higher here. I don't know if I believe in like the Franz Wagner getting up into like the 30-ish range. Like I think some people think he's like he has that kind of potential. I expect him to be like a high quality, kind of like Tony Kukoc level quality role player on a good team is kind of what I expect him to be. Maybe like the third. I'm I'm really just kind of talking off the cuff now. I don't know. What what do you think his ceiling is? What do you think of Franz Wagner in in a year from now? What do, what do you think his ceiling is? I think it depends on this is like a simple basic answer but it's like is this is this somebody who continues to shoot 35 percent from three for his career or is this someone who rises closer to 39 40 percent because i think he already has everything else we know how he can operate out of handoffs as a playmaker he can run pick and roll for you he can be a screener and roll to the rim or pick and pop and attack closeouts he has every tool on the offensive end he's a versatile defender he can defend multiple positions very well. He's a heady off-ball defender. I love Franz Wagner. He checks every box. The only box that's left unchecked right now is he's shooting 34% from three. Does he become a truly knockdown shooter both off the catch and off the dribble? We've seen the flashes with his creation with what he can do as a playmaker, getting to the basket, some pull-ups. He's hit some step-back jumpers. But what level does he get with his efficiency? That's what's going to determine if this is somebody who's a, a top 20 guy or like in that 30, 40 range. Um, but I feel very comfortable with where he is now. And I, I'd expect him to stay about the same. Yeah. Probably don't rise this year. That's something that could happen over the course of time. This might be a little too high right now, but I, I like him at 61. And 34% is what he shot in college uh, his sophomore year yep. in Michigan. So it's not totally. But I'm bad uh, on him. Okay. High 80% in the free throws for yes. years now. I think it's a matter of time. He was, yeah, we'll both years he was 83% from the line at Michigan. And mm-hmm. I, I expect that to, yeah. I mean, I, I'm 86% in the NBA, which is a good indicator. Yeah, typically. Yeah. We'll take a quick break and come back talking with some college prospects. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. 
It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, Kyle. So there's this stat on Cerebro Sports CRAM. It's their like single member stat, like, you know, RPM and, you know, the LeBron stuff they have at 538 and Raptor. Like they have a lot of single number stats. CRAM is what Cerebro Sports uses to measure high school, college, and NBA players, right? They're top five college freshmen playing over 30 minutes per game right now. Five, Brandon Miller, who we talked about from Alabama. Number four, Anthony Black. We've talked about from Arkansas. Number three, Grady Dick, who we've talked about from Kansas. Cason Wallace, number two, we've talked about him from Kentucky. Hell yeah. Number one is Taylor Hendricks from UCF. Who is Taylor Hendricks, Kyle? Taylor Hendricks, KOC, is a big forward. He's playing down in Central Florida, like we said. He's from Fort Lauderdale. He's a four-star guy coming out of high school. Had a lot of big D1 offers. Ends up at UCF. I don't know the exact backstory there, what it is. I don't know. I would I would have thought that maybe some of those other programs would have been more attractive, like in terms of competition. Uh, if you wanted to get, get out there and be seen, I think that would be maybe the main downside to going to UCF as opposed to those other schools. What do you think about that? I mean, you, I, I'm not going to speculate, but in college, <laughs> well, I mean, a just like bag the, of money choosing. Well, that that's the part that we can't ever figure out. In the NBA, we can be like, well, Brad Bill stayed also in Washington. Home. We, yeah. Brad close Bill stayed in Washington because he got a big bag. Yes, close to home. The other part, you never know. Yeah, um, yeah. but. <laughs> So yeah, Taylor Hendricks, six foot nine, two hundred and ten pounds, was ranked forty six in his class. Right this season, though, he's playing really well, averaging fifteen point six points per game, seven point one rebounds. The big thing is the shooting. I think that has has been eye opening for people. Uh, he's shooting through nine games, shooting fifty percent from three uh, on four point two attempts, and he's getting to them in a variety of ways. I've seen him do some sort of like dribble shake type things and get into his jumper. I've seen him catch and shoot. Uh, he seems like a fairly springy athlete. I don't know that he's like elite elite. Um, I think the main takeaway here, though, is that uh, from what I've seen, the, the shooting seems believable, seems translatable. He'll have to make some adjustments. Um, I think he's an interesting wrinkle to throw in against some of the other big guy, the big shooters in this class. If you're considering 
a value play to get somebody that could potentially develop into having some on-ball stuff that could develop into a bigger role. He might be sort of a sleeper to think about. I don't know. He might, he might be somebody, if you're looking to add some shooting and some size. It's very interesting to see him at number one on, on that single number stat, uh, C-Ram. Uh, Taylor Hendricks, like, I'm with you, Kyle. He's interesting. I'm not ready to say he's like some lottery prospect. Um, the level of competition UCF has faced is not, you know, it's not like he's facing, you know, the best schools in the country yet. Mm-hmm. He has some good, tougher games coming up that are going to be worth watching. But ultimately, like, he has Ole Miss tonight, Memphis, Missouri coming up. So some better games, barometers to, to watch him. I want to see where his shooting ends up. 50% from three, 72% from the line right now in college. Cerebro Sports had him at 34% from three, 72% from the line. So equal free throw percentage in high school events, 34% from three. Where does he end up? Like there's some watching a lot of his misses. He has some inconsistencies. You know, he lands very wide sometimes with his base. Like he, mm-hmm. there's some inconsistencies with his shot. I believe in his jumper. I think he has good touch near the basket. Um, where does that end up? But overall, though, I think he hasn't run any pick and roll this year. He didn't in high school either. But like you can use him as a screener. He can roll. He can finish. Like you said, he's not an elite, you know, out of the gym leaper. But but like he has some athleticism. He's springy. He plays hard on defense. That's the big thing. Like he's a smart defender. He'll go take a charge. Like there was a play earlier this season where first half. They were down 14, 15 points against Oklahoma State. It was a fast break dunk opportunity. And you could not have blamed him if he just kind of like pulled up. But instead, he hustled and got in position to try to block the shot. And he almost got put on a poster. And he didn't. He he fouled the player, put him at the free throw line by trying to block the shot. And it was just one of many examples when you watch Taylor Hendricks where he's putting his body on the line. And I think guys who are willing to do that, they get, you know, extra points for me. For me, like we talked about Caruso as the guy who translates to winning basketball in the playoffs. Hendricks does some of that stuff on defense where you're like, okay, this guy's playing a win. Like he's constantly playing hard. Um, so I, I I like him a lot on defense. Want to see him against better competition. Want to see him defending like the quickest guards. Um, it's just to see how he looks there. But I'm encouraged. He looks good. Definitely looks like a sleeper. I'd have him like a late first round prospect right now. How about yeah. you, Kyle? Would you consider him a first rounder already? I'm flirting with that idea, not ready to commit to it, but I, I think it's definitely Very possible. fair. I, I don't think that he's going to get into the lottery range. I don't think so. He'll probably get nitpicked. We'll see. Like you said, some of these high major opponents here are going to be interesting tape to watch for him. I think you made a really good point, though, that I, I say this all the time. I think we've over-scrutinized or just over uh harassed people who like to jump or like getting dunked on. We all will like just act like that's a way bigger deal than it is. Like I, I like oh, guys that jump. I like, I love it when guys get out there and try to block dunks. It's awesome. I think they should get credit for it's that. It's the best. No kidding. I mean, like I can't, I can't understand. I get making fun of them. Yeah. But I, but cause it's funny, like you get dunked on, but also can we also like simultaneously praise the efforts and the, the unselfish attitude that is required to put your body on the line to try to prevent yourself, prevent your team from just scoring two points, right? Just It's just two points, right? Yeah. For the downside of like, you are a meme, you're, you're, on, you're going viral. <laughs> I get why yeah. players don't do it, but that's why I admire it so much because they just don't care. It's about winning the game. It's, a, it's an unselfish act on the court that I, I find incredibly admirable, which is why I mentioned that play 
which ultimately like is meaningless. It's like it's a not. character play. It's actually, it's actually not. Exactly. I think I maybe have told this story before, but I was playing, I'll tell this really quick. I was playing pickup one time when I was younger at this church and there was this little guy who like, um, it was like a lower goal. I think it was nine feet tall, but I was trying, I like every time I would try to score near the rim, this guy would come flying in and go, no, no, no. He would scream and like, he blocked me several times. He was smaller than me, but it, after it happened, like the 10th time, I just started laughing and I was just like, I like his attitude. I, I don't know. That's what that reminds me of. I think, <laughs> I, I think of that guy all the time. I don't know where he is in the world, but I had a lot of respect for his defensive moxie. And I, I just, I enjoy guys that take, they take pride in it. You know what I mean? And you can tell when guys do, like they take it personally if they get scored on. And you can tell the guys who don't take it personally when they get scored on. <laughs> You like that story? If, that guy, <laughs> if that guy is listening, I want to hear from him. I hope he's out there. Tweet, tweet at us, at J. Kyle, sure. man. This was in like Kevin O'Connor. Tweet at us. Yeah. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Taylor Hendricks, good prospect, worth monitoring, could be a sleeper. I could see him rising into the lottery if this continues, but we're a long way from that. Yeah. It's a long way from that at this point. But with somebody worth monitoring, I was at the Houston-Alabama game. Over the I want to hear about Kyle this. Went down to Houston. Yeah, yeah. I interviewed on Friday. Interviewed the three top prospects on Houston: Marcus Sasser, a guard; um, Terrence Arsenal, a freshman wing; and then Jarese Walker, who we talked about in our first show, is a is a big man, versatile big. And then later in the day, I talked to Brandon Miller from Alabama, and I I like him. I liked our conversation. I'm very. I'm very uh, I'll write something at some point, probably for the draft guide when that drops in January, but. I pressed him a little bit on some of his struggles, right, mm -hmm. inside the arc. And it was kind of a good timeliness here because he went 0 for 8 the next day against Houston. Like, he couldn't yeah. score. He couldn't – like, he has not been effective scoring inside the arc this season. But, like, he said to me, he's like, I know I'm struggling inside the arc. He's like, I'm super skinny. And, like, I think as I continue to get stronger over the course of time, it's not like I don't want to have – make contact – it's just that right now my body can't handle the contact. But he's like, over the course of time, as I get stronger, I know that's going to improve. And it was like a very self-aware comment. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. And, and in time, it will be okay. And it was like, huh, okay. And, and then I kind of, you know, we talked a little bit more about, you know, his playmaking ability. We've talked about that on this show. Some of yeah. the passes he makes that separate him from a Jabari Smith. And, and he says, it's like, I don't really believe in positions in today's NBA, but or today's league, um, but I consider myself a point guard if I had to be any position. And I'm like, really? You know, that's uh -huh. the way you kind of like view yourself. And he said that he likes, he gets more excited. He's one of the players, and it's genuine. You can see it on the court. He says, I get more excited when I can make my teammates score than when I score. And it's true. Like, watch his assists. Like, he's always fist pumping, jumping up and down when his teammates score. Like, I think that's a genuine comment. Um, about him liking passing more than scoring. So it's just something to keep in mind with Brendan Miller, you know, as we watch him this year, because I think the, the playmaking is the big thing that I really get excited about when I watch him, Kyle. It's 6'9". Some of the passes he makes, like jump passes to the corner three, right? Like drawing defense when they blitz him out of the pick and roll and hitting the roller like perfect where only they can catch it. Like he makes some really high-level passes for a six nine forward, and, and I like it's cool that he views himself as that type of player, um, where, sco where scoring is actually second to him behind playmaking. What are your thoughts on some of the stuff that I, you know, 
kind of previewing the interview with him. Uh, I like that you pressed him on that. I'm really impressed by his self-awareness. Uh, usually you'll get just dismissiveness. Or, I mean, frequently, yeah. not every time. Um, first thing I would ask you is, do you think he's a candidate to come back? Because I kind of wonder if he's struggling like this and then he comes back and shows us that he can be an on-ball guy a la like a Franz. I think that his shooting upside is, I mean, very high as we know. Um and we've seen some of the ball handling, but like when we see it get compromised, we see him, you know, I just wonder if how much money could be on the line for him. Like, could it's could he make five million more dollars if he came back, you know, and played another year and fix some of those strengths? Because how much how much do you think he's at risk if, if he goes this year? If he if he came if, if it stayed as it is right now, is he somebody that you could see coming back and like making another jump based on what you've seen and talking to him? I mean, I mean, I, like I, for what it's worth. A couple of weeks ago, I tweeted out that I had him ranked third. That's like writ- written like very, you know, light pencil. Like yeah. It's so early in the process here. This is going to change. If you look at like mock drafts by ESPN a year ago, they, they had like guys in the top 10 who didn't even get drafted. Like it, it's it's so early at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Miller, I think Miller's got a chance to go like a top five where like he undoubtedly will come out. But we'll see how he gets better over the course of the season. But I also think, to your point, Kyle, he's the type of guy where teams are going to look at him and say, like, he's super skinny. He's not going to be able to handle the rigors of the NBA. And he ends up going 13, 14. Or he's at least projected in that range where maybe it's worth it for him to go back to Alabama, have another winning season, you know, and come back better and end up like a clear, definitive top three, top four, top five guy in next year's draft i could see that path for him but ultimately i think he's good enough right now you know we talked about you know the numbers with what he's done how well he shot the ball from three the creation aspect he's had some good games against tough teams you know he last night against memphis 24 points played well against michigan state earlier in the year like he's had good moments against tougher teams so to how much does that continue we'll see and the thing i liked about in that alabama houston game though he stunk on offense. He cannot score. He gets fouled late. He hits six straight free throws. Oh, yeah. I love that. Alabama complete that comeback. Like, it takes stones, dude, after you suck. And then they hit all those clutch free throws. And that, that arena was loud, dude. Like, it was an intense crowd. And, and even though they were clearly on edge as Houston was blowing the lead, they were up 17 late in, that, uh, in the middle of that second half. Like, it takes guts, dude, on the road. They had six straight free throws. He missed the first one, too, when he got followed on a three-point. He got missed the first one. I was sitting in my seat. I'm like, oh, my God. He's just <laughs> not going to score. Yeah. He hit six straight after that. Um, that, that. That was impressive to me. I like his mindset a lot. And Anybody else stand out to you from, the, you know, from that game? I know Noah Clowney, his teammate, was probably, you know, had the really good game. He was a standout for Alabama. Yeah, I was overall really impressed with Alabama's just composure. Like you said, they took a big punch. Houston is a team that gets real riled up, and they tried to deliver the the uh, like with Marcus Shed or with that Shed and with um, Sasser. They were really trying to deliver that knockout blow and get to the rim. And then Alabama just kept just, like taking the hits, and uh, but they did have a few guys. I thought that you know Alabama has an interesting cluster of like six nine ish guys and Bediaco and. Noah Gurley and and Clowney and even like Nick Pringle had a, had a couple plays that were pretty impressive. It's an interesting collection of guys. Um, yeah, I was impressed with Clowney. Um, I honestly, there was a sneaky one that I thought was that d- he did some things that I liked. And this guy's kind—he's of, been an inconsistent shooter kind of throughout high school. He was actually 
I'm talking about Ryland Griffin, who was actually the high school teammate of Casey Wallace in the same backcourt. They were a fantastic high school back, backcourt. Um, he had a couple plays where he drove to the rim and made like really nice dump off passes that led to wide open threes. He's somebody to keep an eye on. Six foot five guard, sort of can play on and off the ball. I was really impressed with him. Uh, was there anybody else that jumped out to you? I mean, Clowney, you know, on the Alabama side for sure. Uh, probably his best game of the season. Pretty good defensively. Shot three well, can attack off the dribble a little bit. Maybe needs one more year. Um, but Clowney was very impressive. It wasn't a great game for scouting purposes. Like, it was like, you said it last week. Like, that game is going to be in the muck. Like, it was, even though it ended up high scoring at the end. Like, it's not like Sasser, Walker, or Arsenal. Arsenal didn't even play that much in that game. Um, I like Marcus Sasser. Uh, I, I'm, I'm also impressed by him. Like he's the type of guy. He's only six foot, six foot one. You, you want to see him become a more consistent three point shooter, shooter in, uh, off the dribble in general. But like even when he's not scoring the ball, that dude defends, and I think that's something that you can always rely on with Sasser. Like very good in pick and rolls. He's feisty. If he like buys into that even more so, and then the NBA like, really embraces it, like you're talking like you know a Beverly type. You know, where maybe he's not that level of defender, but be that. That's what he's going to have to be because he's not going to be getting high usage on offense like he does, you know, for Houston. Yeah, at times I thought he kind of hurt them with his aggressiveness. He was a little out of control, but uh, he he gets real riled up, which I I enjoy. It's fun to watch. But um, I just think he's probably one of those guys, it's the Caruso thing where Caruso said the one time about a conversation he had with Sam Presti where Presti was like, we don't need you to be the CEO of the company. We need somebody to scrub the toilets. And some guys come into the league (laughs) expecting to scrub the toilets and some people come into the knowing that that's going to be their role. And I I think the conversation, it's a broader one, I know, but it just seems like there are guys like this every year who are good college point guards, who contribute a lot, who defend well, who are going to come into the league with like a schematic sense, like they're not going to be jarred by how quickly they get, specifically where they play matters too. Like we've talked about Houston develops defensive players really well. Um, But, you know, I like Andrew Nimhart is an example of this guy who came in. He's impressed Rick Carlisle with his, (laughs) with his defense, which is really tough to do for a rookie guard. Uh, Peyton Pritchard is another guy that you that uh, I almost said you guys, the Boston Celtics picked up. Um, just the experienced guards that get overlooked whenever we take upside swings, but they're guys who are just good players. They're going to be ready to play. Let's move on to our weekly Wemby. Kyle, what's happened in the world of Victor Wembanyama this past week? Oh, Kevin, just the typical stuff. Crazy left shoulder fadeaways from 20 feet away from the basket. Really fluid. Uh, he he had a couple just really impressive, like, uh, they lost. They lost to AS Monaco, a team that has, like, a bunch of just kind of, I was like the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV meme, basically, over and over again. I was just like, that's Mike James. He's like, a, they, they were playing these grown men. Mike James played in the playoffs for the for the Nets a couple of years ago. Uh, Jer- Jerome Blossom game, Elia Kobo. Were you an Elia Kobo oh, I believer? I love the Kobo. Oh, yeah. You know I love the French. <laughs> yes. You, I love the French. I wasn't a, I wasn't a Kobo guy. Can we <laughs> they please... They me year after year. <laughs> can we please... Whoever is in charge of it at Ringer, please get a t-shirt made with Kevin's face on it, illustrated, and have it say, I love the French under it. I just think that would be an incredible <laughs> shirt. Uh, no, but there's a lot of familiar faces, and they... and they Mets 92 lost. Uh, they, they got kind of... Whooped. But Wimby had 27 points... Went 11 for 20, had three assists, three steals, 11 rebounds. Um, One thing I wanted to say about this is 
I think Wimby actually has, as phenomenal as he is defensively for his age, there's upside Kev, I think, because his technique, I think, has even more room to like sharpen and round out. Like, um, in what ways? Like, what, like what needs? Is it pick and roll defense? Is it off ball awareness? Well, what stands out to you? Both, and uh, I think it's turned like he, he he sometimes is pretty fantastic about it, like staying down. He is one of those guys that's so long and quick that he has the luxury of being able to stay down because he can close the gap without being a gambler. Um, he still gambles a little bit. Sometimes, he, he, you know, it's it's the typical kind of young guy stuff where he'll lose focus for a second. I just think he has a, t- a whole lot of room to dial that stuff in, like dial in his sort of like mental focus and and st- the staying down stuff. You'll see guys get shots over him and I'll be like, Wendy, Wimby could have like blocked that into the stands. Like there was one last night that James floated over him and it was just a savvy veteran kind of a thing. Um, I just think the upside is is pretty significant. I'm with you. I mean, he's still just a teenager right now, right? Like learning the intricacies of end of defense, of positioning and fundamentals like that. That like as good as he is, like you said, Kyle, he's really nowhere near his upside. Yeah, it's unfathomable to say that, but it's true. Like he's not close. Like think about, I mean, another Frenchman, Rudy Gobert. You look at him before he was drafted. Physically, he was so skinny. You know, he didn't move. You know, he didn't have the agility that he does now when it comes to moving in closer spaces. Never mind, like, he got roasted by Steph, of course, and that switch he gets put in the spin cycle. He's better on the perimeter now, too. Gobert, one of the best defender of this generation on the interior. Wemby's going to learn all those things over the next 10 years, too. Yeah. And eventually it's going to have like that, you would hope, have that computer brain to read and diagnose defenses and know where to be and when to be there. And when you factor in the fact that he is more physically impressive, he is quicker, he is longer, he is already far better than Gobert was at the same age defensively. I mean, like this dude, this guy could like win defensive player of the year every oh, year. Oh, yeah. No question about it. And he's, <laughs> he's, I won't say the word because I know we try to be a family podcast, but he's an MFer, man. He really, really wants to bury people. I remember, I always laugh about mm-hmm. when I would watch Luca over in Euro in the Euro League and in the Euro Cup and stuff. You would just see the, this maniac. You're like, this guy is a psycho. Like he just wants to he just wants to murder people and bury them. Vic has that. He, he's been a little excitable at times. He gets a little carried away, but I think he's reined some of that in. He's just a big time competitor too. I think was which is important. We talk about like taking it personally. He does. He's somebody that really cares, and I think that's a big factor in how much better he's going to get. What's on the TV guide in the college world for us the rest of this week, Kyle? We'll quickly rattle through it here tonight. There's a game we're recording this on Wednesday, the 14th. There's a game between UCLA and Maryland. There's a few prospects in that game to check out. But this Saturday is going to be a. You could just lay back with some popcorn and watch college ball all day if you wanted to. If you were so inclined. If you're listening to this, I'm going to assume you are. Uh, Indiana is playing Kansas. They're both ranked. Houston and Virginia. Alabama just continues their incredible schedule. They're going to be playing number 15 Gonzaga. Uh, and Carolina and Ohio State, Bryce Sensabaugh is somebody really fun to watch if people want to check him out. And then Kentucky plays UCLA on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, a lot of good games coming up. It's a lot of good ones. I wish that I wish one of those UCLA games was here in L.A. I, I'd attend those, but they're not. Very Pauly. sad. Yeah. You, you get out to mm, Pauly Pavilion very much, Kev? Westwood? No, no I, I was going to go to that Pepperdine game a couple of weeks ago and was sick. So, yeah. sucks. So, let me... Same I want to see Ma- Maxwell Lewis, another prospect we'll have to talk about at some point on this podcast. Kyle, this was fun. 
I look forward to checking Twitter right now after <laughs> recording this podcast and seeing how angry everybody is with us for our NBA rankings. And we want to know your feedback too. Yeah, tweet at us at Man, at Kevin O'Connor NBA. Curious about your thoughts. Who's too lo- too high, too low? Who needs to crack the top 100? Or if slash when we expand the lists, oh, who needs to be added? Oh, oh, we'll Jeff. see what happens. <laughs> yeah, uh, well. Kyle, this is a lot of fun. What do you get going on the rest of this week in your life? Anything fun? Oh, just uh, working on projects, man. That's the way it is. Just trying mm-hmm. to get some projects going. So I'll, I'll reveal later. Yeah. What do you got going on? Same thing. Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> just working. Nice. That's it. I might go to the G, might go to the G League showcase. I got credentialed. I believe I will go. Just juggling a couple things to figure out which days I'll go. Uh, but I believe I'll be at showcase next week in Vegas. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that on next Wednesday's show. Go get a bite at Best Friend. Get a yeah, little may- maybe go check it out. Yeah, yeah, I went with Dylan Berkey, our, our former Ringer video producer uh, when we were there for the Victor Wembanyama Scoot Henderson game. Very good. I enjoyed oh, the food. Love that place. So maybe I'll go back. Yeah. Gotta go to Momofuku as well. Oh Very yeah, big fan. Big Abe fan. Chang. Delicious. The best. Kyle, this is fun. Thank you so much to Jesse Lopez for producing this week's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. And do us a favor. Subscribe. Subscribe. Right, Kyle? People have to subscribe to the Ringers NBA Draft Show, right? Smash it. Smash that button. Subscribe and give us kind <laughs> Smash words. Smash that like button. Yes. Just <laughs> pulverize it. with uh, Crush it with a sledgehammer. Just don't break your phone. Just be smart. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.